Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Awesome. Well, uh, one of the craziest stories I read this week, I don't know if you heard this, but in Miami, there was a art auction, and at that auction, for $120,000, was a banana duct taped to a canvas. $120,000 got sold, and another artist took the banana off and ate it. Not the buyer, but another artist took the banana off and ate it. And so the debate is, does he get to pay? Does he have to pay the $120,000? Some guy in New York bought this piece of art. And uh, so I'm like, man, what has art come to, right? What has art come to of what we value? What's really, truly a masterpiece? And I hope that as you're uh, here this morning, and that's really our heart, is that you would truly see that God wove together one of the most beautiful masterpieces throughout time. And that th- in this season, we're looking at how God has unfolded His story through history, and that you would begin to see that His Word is one of the greatest pieces of art, one of the greatest masterpieces ever written down, and that you yourselves are a masterpiece made in His creation. So, uh, before we dive into the message, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word and that Jesus came to see the image that we've been created for to come alive. God, without Jesus, that image would remain dead and neutralized. But because of Jesus, Lord, you came to restore and redeem mankind back to our original state with you. And Father, I pray that we begin to see your story as this glorious unfolding That, Lord, not only can we see this foreshadowing that led up to Christ, but, Father, that we, too, are a part of your continuating, unfolding story, even in this generation. And that, God, we have a place to play. God, that we, that you want us on the field, in the game, Lord, helping your kingdom advance. And, Father, with the gifts and the talents that you've uniquely given all of us, God, that we would... Uh, partner together to see great things happen, not only in our lives or in our families, but God, in this city. And so, Father, we just thank you for your word. Open it up to us this morning, no matter where we're at with you, and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, as we started last week, um, I said that pretty much every epic, uh, captivating story has a literary element that are intentionally, literally elements that are intentionally placed throughout the story to lead to the climax of the story. They're small but deliberate clues called foreshadowing, and it helps us see glimpses of the culmination of a story. And so as we prepare for Jesus' birth in this season, we are going to dive into the lineage of Jesus so that we can clearly see that God has been unfolding the greatest story ever told with never-ending love, patience, and faithfulness to redeem and restore his image bearers and all of creation through his son Jesus. And so today, last week we looked at Joseph and we looked at how 
So much of Joseph's life was a, was a type and foreshadow of Jesus himself. And we talked about this key figure named Judah, how Judah was the one that got Joseph sold into slavery. He was the one that started this whole story. And it was at the end of that story that Judah steps up. And if you were here last week, he protects Benjamin. He says, take my place instead. Um, and Joseph saw that there was a true repentant heart in Judah. And really, that, that person, Judah, was in Jesus' line. And it was this picture of redemption, this picture of uh, God restoring him to full rights. And now we just even sung a song this morning. He is the Lion of Judah. And so today, we're going to look at two other primary characters. And this is sometime in between about 1200 to about 1020 B.C., so it was much before Jesus. And there's these two figures named Ruth and Boaz. Ruth and Boaz. And it's a story of romance and a story of redemption. One of the two books, it's one of the two books that's written uh, about a primary female character in the unfolding of God's story. The other one being Esther, who at a very pivotal point in Israel's history stepped up and led her people and saw them saved. So as we kind of go through this story, just to kind of give you a little clue, uh, the foreshadowing, Ruth is a great foreshadow of a follower of Jesus or of the church, and Boaz being a foreshadow of Jesus himself. So let's just dive into the story. It's a very short book. Uh, it's right after the book of Judges, and really the time frame is Judges 10. So if, the, so if you want to know this kind of time frame, Judges 10 uh, is kind of in the time frame of where this story takes place. And there's only about 85 verses to the, to the whole book. It's four chapters. There's about 85 verses, and so we're going to go through every one of them this morning meticulously. No, we're not going to do that. Uh, I'm just going to read the book and then pray for us. No. Um, but I do want to kind of uh, spin up this story a little bit, so let's just dive in to his word. Ruth 1, 1 through 2. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now just to kind of spin this up where this is geographically is that if you're familiar with kind of the, the, um, the promised land or, or where the nation of Israel is now, there's the Dead Sea. And towards the Mediterranean side is Bethlehem. Right up on the hill from the Dead Sea is this small city named Bethlehem. Well, right across the Dead Sea was the land of Moab. And so really you could see Moab from Bethlehem. And this famine hits, this land, hits the land of Israel or Judah. And so he takes his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, and they go over to Moab to try to survive. Verse 2, it says, The name of the man was Elimelech. It's a nice little flow, Elimelech. Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Now, Malon means sickly, and Chilion means one who cries a lot. 
or cry baby. So uh, Elimelech actually means my God is king. Uh, however, when famine hit the land, he chose to leave. And there's, this, is an, this is a little nugget for you, is that a lot of times when even believers experience a type of famine in their life, one of our initial reactions is to go find something else. And what we'll, as we'll see uh, in this story, it doesn't turn out too well for Elimelech as he leaves uh, the land of his family, the land of protection, and he goes over to this uh, land named Moab. All right, let's keep going. And they were Ephrathites in Bethlehem and Judah, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there for about 10 years. They are there for about 10 years, and um, yeah, how typical of people to do that. In dry seasons, many wander from God. But we keep reading. Verse 3, it says, But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died as well. So that the women was left, or were left, with her two sons and her husband. So, they tried to escape famine, but Elimelech and, her, and their two sons both die, so all that's left is Naomi and her son's wives, her daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, and they, uh, they were in this land of Moab. Now, just to kind of understand, Moab served a different God. It wasn't the God of Israel or Yeshua or Yahweh. It wasn't Yeshua yet, but Yahweh, and uh, they served a god called Chemosh. And Chemosh, if you're familiar with Molech or Baal, it was basically the same thing. Uh, in order to appease uh, Chemoth, it required blood sacrifice, and mainly from children, uh, child sacrifice, in order to appease the gods. And so there is, there is this expression of religion in Moab that was very different from the land that Elimelech and his family had come from. So verse 6, then she rose and with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. So basically saying, uh, you don't have to come with me. Uh, it would be much easier for you to just uh, stay here in Moab, the, the land of your family, and let me just kind of go back home. And, and maybe one day you can find a husband yourself, because, and, it, and she kind of goes on, she's like, I'm old, so... It's not like I'm going to be having any more kids for, them to, for you to wait for them to grow up to marry. Or, uh, you know, so, so Naomi is trying to release Orpah and Ruth from any obligation to her. It says, The Lord grants you that you may find rest in each of you in her house for her husband. And then she kissed them as if they were kind of parting, and they lifted up their voices and wept. 
It's this uh, very emotional parting with Naomi. But then in verse 14 it says, But they lifted up their voices and wept again, as she kind of entreated them again, You don't have to come with me. And Orpah and Ruth have two different responses. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law as to go back home to Moab, but Ruth clung to her. There was something in Ruth that saw, and I don't, we can kind of surmise, maybe it was the way Naomi handled loss, maybe of the loss of her husband and then her two sons. Maybe that there was something in Naomi's faith with her God that, that provoked Ruth to say, I want to know this God that you serve. This is very unlike the God I've been growing up serving. We, we don't really know what inside of Ruth really attached herself to Naomi, but while Orpah kissed her and left, Ruth cleaved to her. Ruth clung to her. And we can see that this decision actually is one of the reasons why we know Bethlehem today. Verse 15, she said, this is Naomi, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will, I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Ruth not only makes this covenant with Naomi, but in this statement, she, she makes a covenant to God. I want to begin serving the God that you serve, Naomi. And she's like, I'm willing to go wherever you go in order to see that take place. And so here in the proclamation of her own statement, she's changing her allegiance from the God of Moab to the God of Naomi. And she just, it's, it's a powerful statement. It's because of Ruth's covenantal decision to go with Naomi back to Bethlehem. It's the reason we know Bethlehem today. So Ruth 2. So they get back there. They get back to Bethlehem. And now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. In the Jewish law allowed non-landowners and foreigners to take up the leftovers of the, from the fields. Farmers would allow about 25% of their total yield. They would leave in the field in order to provide for the poor, the foreigner in the land, and it was amazing provision of God's law to take care of people that just didn't have much. And so Naomi is saying, hey, Boaz is this, uh, owns this land, and he tends this field, and he's a relative of my former husband's. And so she said, why don't you go to Boaz's land and work and, and glean from his field? And so Ruth finds her way to the field of Boaz. And he went out of his way. He noticed her. 
Who's this foreigner? He begins to ask about her, and, and he begins to make a way for Ruth to be protected because she didn't have a husband. She was still young, and she didn't want any young man, you know, predatorily, you know, hounding Ruth, and so he tells all his servants, you can't go towards Ruth. I'm going to protect her. I want to provide for her, and so he has an eye out, even from the very beginning, for Ruth. And Ruth kind of confounds Ruth. She says in verse 10, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her and says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you didn't know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I'm not one of your servants. As I was reading through this, it reminded me of this verse in 1 John where it says, We love because He first loved us. So Ruth, having this interaction with Boaz and this, him extending this gracious kindness to her, she goes back to Naomi and tells her all about it. And uh, Naomi begins getting very excited for Ruth. And... Uh, <laughs> which we'll see. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, verse 20, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, the man is a, relative, is a close relative of ours, one of our kinsmen redeemers. It's this phrase, kinsman redeemer, that we don't really have, obviously, today, and so it's very hard for us to kind of understand, well, what is that? Well, and a kinsman redeemer is a male relative, according to various laws of the Pentateuch or the Torah, had the privilege or responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble, in danger, or in need. And this kinsman redeemer, in Hebrew it's goel, and it's about protection and provision. And so because Elimelech had died, his land should have gone to his offspring. But obviously, they too have passed away. And so Naomi is trying to sell her land in order to provide for herself because at the time, Naomi didn't have anything. So in order for Elimelech's land to stay within the family, there needed to be a redeemer of that land. There needed to be a relative who would buy that land in Elimelech's name and make sure that that land stays in the family. And since Ruth came back with Naomi, she too was a part of this inheritance of the land of the kinsman redeemer in order that she may continue Elimelech's line. And with Naomi's advice, Ruth comes to Boaz. So, so Naomi gets pretty excited. that Boaz is kind of given some signals. And I don't know if you ever, you ever been in a room where people are flirting with one another and they think no one else can see that they're flirting. You ever, I mean, I remember flirting with my wife. We were in this uh, class together for six months, 
and every day we're in class together, and about third week, third weekend, I start liking Becky, and I start, you know, wondering, is she liking me back? And you never know, all the insecure guys, you just don't know you, until she actually says, yes, I like you. It's like everything's in question until they actually say, yes, I like you. So I didn't know how it was, but I, so, so we were kind of given eyes, and we thought no one else was seeing, but like everyone else was seeing, everyone. But that's a whole other story. So, so I can imagine that Naomi is seeing this kind of chemistry in between Boaz and Ruth, and so she encourages her, this one day she encourages her like, okay, dress up, kind of put on your nice things, and get a little perfume on you, and and what's interesting is so Ruth goes and through this interaction with Boaz, to kind of summarize it, she actually ends up proposing to him. I mean, it's kind of a, a bold thing. I mean, she was a foreigner in the land. She, she was kind of seen maybe not just as a servant or maybe less than a servant, but, but she has this need of a kinsman redeemer and so she goes and she basically kind of proposes to him. And so in verse 3.12, or chapter 3.12, this is Boaz's response. And he says, Now it is true that I am a redeemer. I am one that's a relative Elimelech, that I, I am in a position to redeem the land and you, and yet there's a redeemer nearer than I. There was a succession order of who had the first right of refusal. And uh, so he said, remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And so he gives a commitment to her. This is, if, if he doesn't redeem you, I Will, but he, as a man of character, as a man of integrity, didn't try to subvert the law. He didn't try to subvert what was going on. He, he wanted to be a man of truth and honor. And Boaz proved that by, by, by basically saying, I'm going to give this up to the Lord. He's going to help decide what the future is. And so, Ruth. For one, it says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat there. And now, and in, in, in Jewish cities, it was at the gate, it was at the gate of the city that all the court proceedings, all the legal proceedings, if somebody was to buy land, if somebody was to get a divorce, or if somebody was to uh, have a charge against somebody, that somebody robbed me, or somebody is cheating me, it would be at the gate that the elders would, would meet and have it out. And so, uh, a lot of times we think, well, what's so special about a gate? But there, there was no closed court system in this community. It was all open. And uh, so, he goes up to the gate to kind of handle the situation. And he says, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So, Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Amazing. Followed his instruction. Awesome. We got off to a good start. This conversation's going well so far says then he took 10 of the men or he took 10 men of the elders in the city and said sit down here and so they sat down so so now we have a little audience going on it says then he said to the redeemer Naomi who's come back from the country of Moab is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech 
And so I thought I'd tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and, after, and I come after you. All right, so basically he's saying, are you going to, here's this opportunity to redeem this land. And he's like, yeah, sounds like a good deal to me. Sure, I'll redeem it. I'll redeem the land. So he gets him to like commit. But then Boaz told him in verse 5, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow, that that way she can have children with you who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. So a little catch to this, uh, to this deal. He leads with the land and then kind of says, but also Naomi comes with this package deal and it's very hard for us to kind of understand this concept in the 21st century, but this is just kind of how they rolled back then. And here's his reply. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. And we can say, my own wife probably would have something to say about this. Uh, I don't want to ruin my estate, which is like, I don't want to ruin my family by taking this deal uh, in front of all these people. I don't think it's going to go very well. And so, uh, I don't want to endanger my estate. You redeem the land. I cannot fulfill this. I cannot do this. I can't pay the price required to redeem the land and Ruth. This other kinsman redeemer couldn't pay the price for the land, and so he backs out. And then Boaz makes the commitment. He says, in front of all these, the town, uh, these elders at the city gate, he says, I will redeem it. And, uh, and so, so he redeems the land, and he marries Ruth, and uh, there's this interesting blessing of the town elders over Boaz because he was so respected in Bethlehem. In verse 11, it says, Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, which is uh, wives of the, of the patriarchs. And, and it says, from, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez and the son of Tamar, and Judah. So Boaz and Ruth go on to have their own son. She's redeemed. A kinsman redeemer uh, fulfilled this need, and they have their own son, and they name him Obed. Obed. That's sometimes what we think of like when we're really tired. Obed. No, this was, sorry, that was a cheap shot. But, uh, but they have this son, Obed, who later goes on to have a man named Jesse, who later goes on to have a son named David, King David. This is King David's great-grandparents, who, and what's interesting to the story is Boaz's mom, if you're familiar with Joshua coming into the promised land, and before they 
invaded uh, Jericho. They send out spies to go into Jericho, and there's this uh, prostitute named Rahab who took them in and allowed them to sa- safety. And, and she said, hey, when you raid the city of Jericho, just make sure me and my family are safe. And Rahab goes on to marry this guy named Salmon, and, which is another weird name. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. It's probably not how you pronounce it in Hebrew, but Salmon. And um, Salmon and Rahab are Boaz's mother and father. So Boaz provided for and cared for Ruth in the fields, and they got to know who each other, who they, they were. She then proposes to Boaz. Boaz was willing to pay the price, not only for the land, but for her. I find this to be a tremendous, tremendous foreshadowing of romance and redemption, of loss and of restorative love. God foreshadows Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, who paid the price that others could not pay so that the land, the earth, and his bride, the church, would be redeemed. It reminds me of 1 Peter 1. When Peter says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. What an amazing story of how we too, much like Ruth, We needed to leave the land that we grew up in, the culture that we grew up in, the God or gods that we served. And coming into this land of of God, coming into this, this new land, this new community, these new people I've never met before. These guys are definitely not like the family I grew up in. These are some some kind of oddballs in this place, you know? And that's okay to admit because you know you're probably one of them. Because, right, everybody's normal till you get to know them, right? So, uh, so coming into this land. But then what's interesting is that Ruth proposes to Boaz in the same way that God waits for us to say, God, I need you as my kinsman redeemer. I need you as my redeemer to redeem me from my sin, to redeem me from my own selfishness. And that Boaz was willing and able to pay the price for Ruth to be redeemed. And in the same way, there may have been others that have tried to redeem mankind, but they didn't have the ability to. But Jesus is the only one that had the ability to redeem not only the earth, but of mankind and to see his church, his bride, brought into the family of God. And what's interesting is also is that Ruth was a Gentile. Ruth wasn't a part of the family of God. But because of Boaz and because what he was willing to do, he redeemed Ruth. And in the same way, Jesus, anybody can come. No matter where they're at with him, you can come to God to say, God, I need a redeemer. I need protection. I need your provision. I need your light 
covering my life, guiding my life, and helping me navigate this life that you've given me so that I too can become a glorious image bearer to glorify the God who created us. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this story of Ruth and Boaz and how much this foreshadows. A thousand years before Jesus came, Jesus' own birth, life, death, and resurrection. Father, we thank you that you were able to send a kinsman redeemer for all of mankind, that we wouldn't be a foreigner left into a foreign land, but God adopted into your family as a son, as a daughter in your kingdom. And God, if there's anyone here, God, again, we come in this door in all different places, but God, I pray that if there's anyone here that has yet to be redeemed by our great kingsman redeemer Jesus, That God, maybe today is the day. God, maybe today is the time that we say, I'm done with my old culture. I'm done with the gods that I used to be in allegiance to and idolize. Today I come, and like Ruth, to say, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. So, Father, I pray that, Lord, if there's any of us here today that is yet to be redeemed by Jesus, that, God, we would just say, God, today's the day. I give you my life. I give you my heart. God, I want to be in allegiance to Jesus, my King. He is my King. And God, I'm going to trust you as I learn more about you, as I learn more about Jesus and what his life was and God, what he's asking us and called us to become. God, I don't know all that that means, but God, I want to begin pursuing. I want to begin to journey with this person, Jesus. I may have been offended by some of his followers or God, I may have just heard lots of things about him, but God, I want to know for myself this Jesus who came and gave his life to redeem me. So God, I give you today and every other day from here forward into your hands. Father, come in. Have your way in my life. And Father, for for us that may have Jesus as our kingdom or as our kinsman redeemer, Father, I pray that, Lord, that we would not go back to the land of Moab, that God, as we say that we're in the family of God, that when, when the dry season hits, when a famine hits, that we would not be like Elimelech and go and wander away, but God, we would begin to pursue you even more. Lord, there's so many things in our life that we're distracted by that vie for our attention and our allegiance. But God, we today as your people, as your redeemed people, say again today, God, you are our God. You are our Redeemer. 
God, there's nothing in the world that can add meaning to my life other than you speaking destiny, speaking definition, speaking identity, because you are the one that created us. And so, God, I pray that we would, if for those that came in the door, redeemed your redeemed people, God, I pray that we would just, in this season, fall in love with this grand story of Jesus and be your people in this generation to see your story continue to unfold. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.